Welcome to the Institute of Directors series of podcasts on the Shinquin Commission, the future of inclusive business, harnessing diverse talent for success. The Commission is examining the key barriers to the recruitment, retention and progression of individuals from underrepresented groups, with specific reference to disability, ethnicity, gender and sexual orientation. This series will discuss important themes that the Commission focuses on and aims to provide examples and guidance on the importance of diversity in the workplace. Good morning. I'm Kevin Chintren. I'm a member of House of Lords and chair of the IOD Commission on harnessing diverse talent for business success. I'm delighted to be joined this morning by Steve Ingham, the Chief Executive of Page Group. Steve, welcome. Good morning, thank you. Um, Steve, I'd like to um, start by, by asking you uh, a rather general question, which is that as a business leader, you'll know it's impossible to move the dial on virtually anything without data. Um, the baseline, knowing where you stand, setting outcomes and goals uh, that you can measure progress by. So in terms of moving the dial on something like this, harnessing diverse talent, um, how does your business do this? Yeah, it's a tricky one. Um, you know, because the reality is within diversity, a lot of diversity is a hidden. Um, and so therefore it's difficult to measure. But you're right, um, anything in business, if you don't measure it, then it's very difficult to see whether you're being successful, whether the uh, strategies you've got are working or, or not. And, and also, I'd just add, it's difficult to reward people. Um, you know, it's much easier if you can measure their success and then reward reward them accordingly. So um, the, the challenge is making sure that you've got an inclusive environment. If you have an inclusive environment, then you're more likely to get people to be honest um, uh, about their data. And if they're honest and open about their data, then you can measure it. And, and from there, you can act and, and build strategies and hopefully get results. Thank you. Um I just wonder, um, on a, a personal note, uh, I have a disability myself, and uh, I know you do too. Um, um, I was born with my disability, um, and I, I understand you've acquired yours uh, far more recently. And I was just interested to know how acquiring your disability in later life affected your attitudes to the, the value of um, diversity and inclusion, especially in relation to disabled people. Yeah, I'm, well, look, I'm glad to say that I was, uh, this was on my agenda before I was injured. And I, I think that gives some authenticity to what I'm gonna say, I hope. Um, we, we already had ability at page, as we called it, and, and we were focused on what that meant. Uh, with a very young workforce, we have about 8,000 people working at PAGE, and uh, a lot of those people are very young. We, we were actually largely focused within, a, within Ability at PAGE on mental health. And uh, we lots of different strategies and, and tactics to try to um, get people to talk openly about that. 
And I uh, have to say, it was very powerful. Then I was injured, uh, you're quite rightly. Um, and now I'm paralyzed and in a wheelchair. Um, and that clearly has educated me. Um, you know, disability is not straightforward. Um, it, it, there's a lot of different disabilities that you can have, some hidden, some very obvious like mine. Um, and so that brings some complexity to the whole thing. Um, and that certainly added some momentum to how I feel about it on a personal level. And, uh, you know, it's difficult to just to, to talk about yourself, but um, I believe that I have shown and demonstrated myself and learned a lot about myself because of my disability. You know, the uh, I know that it takes a lot more determination, stamina, sometimes creativity to overcome challenges that I now have that I didn't have before. Um, and, you know, my time management, I thought was outstanding before as I flew around 37 geographies and went to multiple offices and had a very full agenda. But my agenda is even more full now as a disabled person because certain things are less efficient than they were. Um, like getting up in the morning, you know, which I could have timed on a stopwatch probably before I was disabled. Now it can take quite a long time some mornings. And um, so I have to build that into my program. So I believe that uh, disability brings with it qualities that companies should want in their business. Thank you very much. And for me, as a disabled person, it means a lot to hear the CEO of Page Group say that uh, it was already on uh, your agenda, your company's uh, agenda uh, beforehand. Um, and I, I'm also really interested to hear you say that actually, in some way, um, disability, the, the lived experience of disability, um, to maybe a bit of jargon, but it adds value. It, it, it actually adds uh, something in terms of, you mentioned determination. Can I just ask, although um, you said that there was an authentic commitment to inclusion before you acquired your disability, um, how has it actually materially affected your goals as PageGroup CEO to come at it from a very first-hand personal perspective? Yeah, look, um, we've been focused on diversity. It's the whole broader subject for over a dozen years since, since just after I became CEO. And I think this is a really important thing to me um, and, and to the business. We've recognised, first of all, two, two, two key things. I mean, many others, but two key things. One, um, staff turnover, staff attrition, retaining talent is a really big challenge at Page Group and, frankly, all of our clients as well. And we've listened to our staff over the years learn what's important, what's important to them. And, you know, this is to be inclusive. We've learned that if you want to maximize productivity within your workforce, then allow people to be themselves, not spend their whole time focused on pretending to be somebody else. Um, you know, not being feeling that they can be open about their sexuality or their disability. Um, to bring their whole selves to work is a, is a commonly used expression, but it, it's absolutely true. 
happy people tend to be more productive. And I think if you can be yourself, you're going to be, you know, if you're going to feel that you can talk openly about your challenges, whatever they are, or if you happen to be in a in a in a, a small group, a minority, you can still flourish in a place you won't be prejudiced against and so on. This is really important. And, and so it makes a happy, productive environment. And it also makes one that people want to stay in. And so I'm pleased to say that over the years of progress that we've made, it has reduced attrition in our business. Attrition is a big cost to our business. We're, we're our, we are only a people business. Um, you know, the reality is that if our market cap is, is you know, one and a half to two billion, um, that's the value we're putting on people or, or shareholders are putting on our people. And so it's important we keep the talent that we've got. And I can look at many initiatives that we've taken. Uh, one on gender, for example, we were losing a lot of very experienced, talented people to something that couldn't be more natural. And that's going leaving to have a family, uh, you know, to go on to maternity leave. And then they were choosing and saying, I can't possibly go back and work in the intensity or the hours or whatever it was. Um, so, you know, they wouldn't come back. And yet we've managed to move a statistic there, a measured piece of data, you know, of, of uh, which we could see in a number. And then we've measured that after, as a result of all of the initiatives we've taken. And I'm pleased to say that we're in the 90%. And, and that is going to just literally make us more profitable as a business. And so we, we've tried to progress on all of these different fronts, measuring it as we go along. Now, when you get to something like disability, there are a lot of people that have a disability that don't want to be open about it and it's hidden. And so, of course, you're, you're trying to measure something, and you, but you don't really know how honest people are being. Have you got a disability? No, I don't want to mention it because I think I might be prejudiced or, or whatever, biased in some way. Um, but if you create an environment where people feel totally open um, and they can mention it and get the support that they probably need in the workplace and so on, then you're going to get more accurate data. You're also going to get more productive people. So it works two ways. And look, I've, I've been very open about not only my injury. I mean, I, I talk about it. I talk about the challenges I've had, the, the challenges I had when I had my accident in terms of getting rescued. I was in the mountains, um, you know, the, the, the proximity I came to death, you know, the challenges I had in hospital, you know, to, you know, some of the some of the emotional ones around, you know, getting past. I mean, I, I was a big runner in the past and I like my sport. I clearly can't run anymore. And uh, a lot of my colleagues were saying, I'll see you in China running the Great Wall of China again. I'll see you in Centennial Park in Sydney, wherever it was. I'm clearly not going to be running with those people again. However, I talked about that and I talked about what I am going to do and what I'm going to replace it with and, and, and so on. And, and I think that's helped a lot of people in the business be open about their disability. And that's gone further recently. A number of people, including C-Suite, have now talked about their own challenges, including mental health. And that makes others feel empowered to then, particularly younger more junior people to go, wow, if the CEO can talk about it, if this other C-suite in director can talk about it, clearly I won't be prejudiced against. I can talk openly about it and then make sure I get the support that I need to be as effective as I can so that I look forward to work and want to stay there and don't want to leave. So, you know, all of that. I think I, I probably rambled a bit, Kevin, but um, hopefully, hopefully I've answered your, your question to some degree. 
No, you, you certainly have, Steve, and, and that's really helpful because, in part, you have answered the question about uh, how important do you think your commitment to diversity and inclusion in practice um, has been to the considerable success of Page Group uh, under your leadership? Let me give you another example, and it's a very hard and fast one. When we were going through, as everyone else was, COVID um, in the first lockdown, um, obviously it was very tough. A lot of companies were having to you know, learn to a new situation that they'd never experienced before and, uh, and react. Uh, a lot of them were worried about, you know, will my IT systems work? Will I be able to afford to employ people? Will we go into debt, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We got past all of those within three months, I felt. Now, the first the first quality you have to show at a moment like that is courage, which certainly when you're lying in a ditch and 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 you decide whether you know which way to turn, do do you just give in to hypothermia or do you get out somehow, um, you know, and get rescued? Um, certainly, in in early July, end of June, feeling courageous about making a decision. There's an example of disability, possibly. The next is. We made a decision when others in our industry, in fact, nearly all of our competitors were cutting headcount in order to reduce costs to guarantee that their, their survival. We actually went on the offensive and actually hired experienced people. Now, those people were people we'd probably approached in the past that had rejected our approach, didn't want to work for us, who actually looked at our business, looked at how inclusive we've become, looked at our DNI statistics, looked at how we describe our vision in terms of becoming even more inclusive than we are. And we hired 1,100 people from our competitors, cherry picking them one by one, asking the clients that they said they dealt with, you know, uh, in terms of just getting, making sure we were they were fully referenced and we brought them on board. What's that done? It's made us even more productive. We had record levels of productivity last year. We've got lower retention of those people because they already want to stay within the recruitment industry, which is the, the biggest challenge, hiring people into it. People often choose not to stay in it. These people have, and they've done well. But almost unanimously, if you ask them why they joined us, and obviously our timing was good, they would say because of the culture that Page has of being inclusive and their focus on EDI and sustainability and other things as well. But you know, it, that that really made a difference and that's making a big difference to our bottom line. So, Steve, um, I think you partly answered this question as well, but there's a lot of talk about generation resignation. Um, are you suggesting that a big part of the answer to that, the solution uh, for companies, is to actually review their EDI uh, approach their culture and and um, where necessary, really improve it and prioritise communicating that. One hundred percent. I mean, there is no doubt about it. I mean, the thing is, a lot of companies believe they have the answer to why people are leaving, and uh, because they do exit interviews or whatever they do, they believe they've got the information, or they're just being assumptive. And going, I know why they left. It's money. You know, we can't possibly offer as much as company X, et cetera, et cetera. If we were offering more, they wouldn't have left. I think they're wrong. And I tell you why, because we've got 8,000 people interviewing those people, um, you know, in many cases. 
and placing them. And of course, they tell us the real reasons why they're leaving a company. And they'll sit in an interview room in confidence, of course, and they'll say, the reason I'm leaving is my company doesn't care about sustainability. It doesn't care about diversity. It, you know, I look at the board of this company and it's just white men. It's, you know, whatever it is. And they'll give us the real reason. Sure, money could be a part of it. Of course, location will be part of it. A lot of the practical things will be a part of it as well. You know, the right industry and so on. But it, it is a really, really important thing to the generations we're talking about. Now, the leaders of industry, largely speaking, are more likely to be my age. That's not what we grew up wanting necessarily, um, but it's changed. And if leaders don't recognize that, then they're going to carry on doing the same, you know, with the same practices and so forth, ignoring it, possibly not just ignoring it, possibly saying they're not ignoring it and they'll win some accolades on DNI and stuff like that. But when they're really, is it really part of their culture? I'm not so sure. And, and, so it is critical to get this right. If you don't want people to resign, focus on your culture, focus on things like EDI and sustainability, get it right, really listen to your staff, and you will lower attrition, lower the costs, and lower the need to talk to page group, which we're happy if you do. Um, but, you know, clearly uh, talking myself out of a job, but there is undoubtedly an impact. Thank you, Steve. Um, we began our conversation by talking about moving the dial. I'd be really interested to know, you, you just talked about you know, there's a choice here between carrying on as you've done before or, or actually changing. Uh, and, and you also mentioned about the younger generation having a different attitude and attaching real importance to EDI. So how would you respond to people who, despite the fact that, for example, voluntary reporting on uh, disability uh, data hasn't moved the dial, but they're still saying mandatory disability workforce supporting isn't the right action to take right now. Yeah, it's, it's a really difficult one because I think, unlike gender, where we obviously have mandatory uh, pay gap reporting, uh, everyone appreciates that gender speaking is largely speaking much easier to measure. Um, and, and so I think there's probably a nervousness around disability. You know, the, the, there can be some negatives associated with uh, recording this data, of course. Um, and there will be some fear from those who are disabled and, and there will be some concerns over those that do the measuring that, they, you know, they can't possibly measure it accurately, et cetera, et cetera. All I would say is you've got to do some sort of measurements to make an improvement. Otherwise, you'll never know what actions you're taking are successful. So you, you've got to start somewhere. And, and I believe that actually your data can become more and more accurate, more and more inclusive you become. And so, yeah, we will measure it in our business. Uh, we do. And it's and we are making progress. And, uh, you know, again, dare I say, we've got about 100 managing directors around the world and we're all rewarded on the initiatives we take, the actions we take, and also the results that we get. And there's the best way of demonstrating the results is, is to measure. Um, and so, you know, this, this is a lot of people whose bonuses are impacted. Uh, so even if they think it's the right thing, um, they are also paid as a result well for moving the dial on it. And, and so 
I, I would say mandatory reporting. Got to be very careful about exactly what that means, because I don't think necessarily in the way it's done in gender is wholly helpful. Um, I think, you know, measurement is, but I'm not sure exactly how that's executed or, or defined uh, that we all have to then do mandatory um, is, is the right way. But I do believe that reporting should happen. And and, and so I think there's a careful balance. And the, the probably the starting point is if government thought that was the, the way to go forward and agreed with us, probably consulting with business on exactly how first rather than just inventing something themselves and, and, and then imposing on us is probably not the right way. Steve, you talked about the importance of striking a balance. How would you strike the balance um, between um, saying, well, inclusion is a nice thing to do for employees uh, versus actually, no, it's an essential part of your business strategy? It's definitely, it's, it's not just a nice thing. I think companies that do that uh, are crazy and, and probably not, um, well, they're not authentically talking about DNI, are they? They're just saying, look, I've got to tick a box, and, and that's wrong. Um, there is a huge amount of talent out there. So it's not just about the resignations you're getting, it's about the attraction of new talent into the business. I mean, if, if I had a pound for every time a CEO or a business leader said to me at the moment they can't find the talent, <laughs> I'd be very rich. And and the reality is that um, there is talent out there. It's just not in the obvious places always. Um, and so, you know, if you really want great talent and if you really want great productivity, decision making, alternative thinking, et cetera, et cetera, you've got to look at how you're recruiting. I mean, we have a, a DNI solutions team within Page, and you look at that team, and it's absolutely diverse. Um, one of the things that leaders will often tell me is, "Well, Steve, I, we'd love to recruit, you know, um, in a more diverse way." But the problem is, every time we advertise or every time we brief a recruitment company, we just get the same sort of shortlist, and it looks just as, you know, has the lack of the same lack of diversity it had last time. Well, you've got to look further afield and you've got to look at all your recruitment techniques. You've got to look at how you're represented on your website, in your brochures, in your company report. Do you look like a non-diverse business? Is your recruitment website, is that diverse? Is it approachable? I mean, a lot of websites, employment websites, I mean, literally to a blind person or to a disabled person, they can't even access them. So you've got to look at all of your different techniques. You've got to look at what your vision is, what your statement is, what... All of these different things to make sure you're tracking. But then you've also got to use the right recruitment companies that can reassure you that they will create diverse shortlists to help you increase the diversity in the business. And that is difficult because years of companies not being interested in hiring in certain pools has led those people to feel it's not worth applying. And so, you know, when you look at it and go, well, I don't get many, I don't know, people in wheelchairs applying. Well, it's not surprising because for many, many years, they weren't welcome to apply. I mean, I heard the other day that a lot of um, uh, employer advisory people, I remember at university when you went in the careers advisory office, apparently the large majority of disabled people are advised not to declare their disability when they apply for a job. What does that tell them? 
it obviously tells them they're going to get rejected if they do. So they they then have the nervousness of going, I've now got an interview and I'm going to clearly have to admit it when I when I wheel in in my wheelchair or or walk in because I can't see or whatever. Um, and I just think that's 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 not helpful. And and so we've got to look at unlocking the talent pools as well from both perspectives. One from a perspective of clients realizing there's a lot of hidden talent, but also making sure that the candidate pools are unlocked from the perspective of giving them new confidence um, to access the workplace and really then get the benefits of being employed and, and working as part of a business community and so on. You, um, you're the only uh, disabled CEO within the FTSE 250. I'm just really interested to know why you think that is. Yeah. Well, and maybe I mean, first of all, I'm the—I I don't know if I'm the only one. I can't—I can't think of anyone else. But um, I'm the, perhaps the only one that's obviously disabled, and the others have chosen not to admit it. I—I I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't interviewed the entire FTSE 250 CEOs, but I, I cannot believe that there aren't others. Um, but maybe they've chosen not to admit it, and they've got that choice because it's hidden. And I've come across a lot of people, not CEOs, but a lot of people that made, you know, and they were disabled 15 years ago or whatever, and they chose not to declare it. Um, they chose to hide it. And some of the, you know, things they've had to, you know, some of the ways they've had to live their working life to hide it have really been challenging and really quite sad. Um, so, look, I, I think we need all leaders, and I don't just mean CEOs, to be open about whatever, their sexuality, their, their disability, whatever it is. And certainly, instantly, it creates an authenticity about that leadership. And I don't believe anyone can lead people without being authentic. And I also believe that all leaders should demonstrate they have a vulnerability. You know, the gone is the day, surely, that all CEOs or business leaders have to be six foot four, you know, big, strapping, I don't know, rugby playing, looking individuals. I just don't believe that anymore. And actually, people, they want to know that their their, their business leader is, is as vulnerable as they are. And that's the reality, isn't it? Of course, we can all go through the same, the same things can happen to us as anyone else. And I think that's actually helpful and reassuring to the workforce. Thank you very much. Um, I'd like to touch on uh, the pipeline to leadership. We talked a lot about how leaders can shape culture, including, as you say, by enabling those who are further down the, the chain to relate to them as as vulnerable human beings in some respects. Um, what is the main um, challenge, the main barrier to ensuring that others follow your example so that we have more disabled CEOs who can actually shape the culture of their organisations on the basis not just of uh, belief, but on the basis of lived experience? Yeah, and I mean, look, this isn't going to happen overnight. I don't think. Um, I mean, I, I will, I will clearly continue to 
to talk to 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 business leaders and businesses about authenticity and being open themselves. You know, if you want a more diverse culture, the starting point has to be authentic leadership, and you have to therefore be open yourself. Um, you know, you can't just sort of go, look, I want to, you know. HR department, could you take this one um, as an objective? You know, we want to. I want to be uh, DNI focused. Uh, by the way, could you just do that for me? Um, that that's. It has to come from the top, um, and you know, it then has to go. You know, come from the board, and then it has to come from the leadership teams below the board, and 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 so on. And yes, you can do some hard things, like you can say, by the way, all of your bonuses are linked to it. But 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 of course, you know that 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 to, to me is a, you know. A, nice to have that you can do but i think also it's more important to actually get people believing in the in the commercial aspects of why it's good for business and if you can to me to me in business that that's the the most powerful thing of all um you know i've always believed in diversity i've you know from every aspect particularly we started with gender like a lot of companies have but we we've also realized the intersectionality of, of diversity um of course and so we we've been very focused on it for a long consistent time i bring it into every conversation i have every presentation i make it's part of our vision it's part of our purpose changing lives um you know so it has to be literally a part of the dna of the business and if it isn't then again people are not going to believe in it and it's not going to change things um like I said, I'm sure there are people in senior leadership, maybe even CEOs, who have a disability. The starting point has to get them to believe they should be open about it. And every time somebody is, it'll make a massive difference to the workforce beneath them. And in my business, I have a C-level director who's chosen to do just that this week. And, and I know it'll be powerful. And and I'm really proud of him. Um, and it's something that I know is going to take a lot of courage to do, but it gets published today. Um, and it's not something I've persuaded him to do. He had to feel it was the right time and that the culture was inclusive enough to feel safe enough to talk openly about his subject, which is mental health. And I think that's incredibly powerful and I'm incredibly proud that he feels he can do that. But that that is the way to really shift the dial on this. And Steve, if I may say so, um, I, knowing you as I do, I would say it's, uh, it's a real reflection of you uh, as a leader that you've created that self-space for your colleagues. So uh, I really hope that there is a, a positive and supportive response to, to what you've just shared with us, and that others feel encouraged, uh, going back to what we discussed earlier, to, to share their own experiences, and as you say, to bring their whole selves to work uh, and contribute to that, that happier, more productive work environment. Um, you, you touched on HR, and um, you made the powerful point that as a CEO, you can't just uh, say to HR, do ETI and then walk away. Uh, you, you actually need to give that, that leadership. Um, 
I was just wondering, in terms of HR, though, um, what rich policies and practices you feel Page Group uh, or other organisations have implemented to create a level playing field for job applicants and, crucially, and you touched on this earlier, a sense of, of competition, whether it's among uh, MDs, for example, who need to report on EDI uh, data. Yeah, look, and, and I would also just make the point that there is a massive appetite with those companies that are focused on DNI. Um, there's a massive appetite to share um, initiatives. Which is, I think, fantastic. You know, this is not something where all, you know, a lot of CEOs are clearly very competitive and a lot of leaderships teams are as well. And we always want to take market share and beat our competitors. But on this important subject, actually, uh, it's too important to be competitive. You know, we don't want to be the only company that's got fantastic DNI. We actually want to share initiatives and, and what's worked. And I think, you know, with us, We've tried a lot of things. We've learned a lot of things from our clients as well. And, you know, some things have worked more effectively. Um, because we're organically grown, for example, and, and I'll admit this, we, 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 it's taking us time to get the very top team to be as diverse as I want. So our main board is very diverse. That's great. But our executive board is a reflection of what we were like 25 years ago because the majority of the executive board have worked for us for more than 25 years. So it's clearly going to take time for that executive board to, to be as diverse as the rest of the war workforce. However, you've got to have faith that the initiatives you're taking are literally floating to the top, and they are. So every year it gets better. Our main board, who we have to answer to, we have to demonstrate our progress. And we've done everything from shadow boards, for example. So we've got a non-diverse executive board. I'm wary that we will make decisions as a result that aren't as helpful as they should be. So we have a shadow board that is incredibly diverse, that basically they can bring up the, the issues that they believe we face as a business. So that will be staff attrition, staff attraction, all of the things that every other company's you know, worried about. And they will lean into those problems and come up with their own ideas. And it's an incredibly diverse shadow board. That's been incredibly successful. So that's just one example of the multiple things we've done to make uh, a difference. We, we clearly, as most companies do, um, you know, talk, talk to our staff in a staff engagement way with surveys and so on, but do a lot of pulse surveys into understanding the different groups um, that we've identified. So we'll talk to our senior leadership, our women leadership, and try to establish exactly what the issues um, they still feel the business faces. And there was still a, a belief that there could be a, a pay gap issue there, for example. So we allowed them to do their own research, which is quite powerful because, of course, if there was any cynicism, there was still a pay gap at, say, director level, well, they can see for themselves. There isn't. And it was very powerful then for them to come back and go, we've looked into it as women and there isn't. And, you know, I was delighted with the result. I was pretty confident of the answer, but it, it was superb. And the next issue, you know, we've, we've, we've obviously had to go, OK, how do we make sure that we're getting a healthy diversity with the applications for the jobs when we're recruiting ourselves? So how do we get more, for example, disabled candidates onto the shortlist that we didn't have before? And we've had to do a lot of creative things which we haven't been doing in the past. 
And again, that has really worked well. Um, and we're doing it for our clients as well, um, because you just can't go down through the traditional methods of, of sourcing candidates that we did in the past. We have to think completely different and, and tear up perhaps what commercially was established before for us to do that. So it, it's it's all of those different things. And there are many, many other initiatives. And, and frankly, I'd be happy to talk to any business leader about them. And um, the other the other thing I would say is don't don't you mentioned HR there. We have specifically got people who are entirely responsible for this and this alone. And I think that focus is important. It, it can't, you know, it can't be a full-time job. For me, I'm a CEO, so I have to take other decisions. It can't be a full-time job, you know, for the HR department because they've got other decisions. So we have to have someone globally, someone regionally, et cetera, et cetera, and for our big countries who this is their entire and only job. And that also will make a big difference. Um, and it has to be reported at the highest level to show how important it is to the business. So all of these different things and many other initiatives, to be honest, that have made a difference. Thank you very much, Stephen. Um, we're, we're coming towards the end of, um, of our conversation. I, I wonder if I could just ask one final question that links back to the overall theme of the IOD Commission. Um, and it's this, looking ahead on the basis of your, your pretty unique perspective and your your long uh, time as CEO uh, at PostGroup during a, a period of, of growth and also the uh, challenges of, of COVID and the way that you, you really, um, I think you used the word, um, you know, that, that you actually quite aggressive in how you engage the the market um, uh, despite those challenges. On the basis of all of that, do you think businesses can succeed without prioritising harnessing diverse talent? Only if they don't have people, Kevin. So there's your answer. <laughs> the reality is, the bigger their workforce, the more it is, and more important it is to them. I, I suspect. So, um, look, if they're a lone individual as an entrepreneur, then they they don't need to, I guess. But um, if they've got a workforce, they absolutely do. I can't re repeat it enough. And 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 this is because EDI is more important than than page. It's more important than any of us. Um, the reality is, we've got to lean into diversity. I mean, it, it, it is absolutely crazy not to. There's just too much talent there at a time where, you know, there is no doubt about it. The younger workforce are very um, decisive uh, and they're very judgmental and they will continue to judge us as leaders and as organisations. And if they don't see what they want to see, they'll make decisions about it and they'll walk and they'll resign and they'll go and get another job and find it elsewhere. And so, you know, we can ignore it. We can we can just talk about it and, and, and only talk about it and try and tick the box or we can do something about it. And, uh, you know, there are 20 percent of people out there um, who are disabled, roughly, and 80 percent of them will acquire their disability at some point in their lifetime. And uh, that's I mean, that means that someone out there, your friends, your relatives, whatever, are going to become disabled. And I believe they should be given the same opportunities to work and add value to an organisation. And I think companies that ignore it, I think they're going to lose market share and others are going to gain it.
Thank you very much, Steve. And, and thank you so much for sharing your time, your insights and your experience and expertise with me this morning. Can I close with one final interview question, which is, is there anything else you would like to add or ask? Look, for those who are starting on this journey, and I think most people are on the journey somewhere, but if there are companies out there or business leaders out there that want to talk about it in a bit more depth, uh, either with myself or with my colleagues, they're very welcome to, because as an international business in 37 countries around the world, surprising to most people in the UK, the UK is only 14% of our business, uh, so we've got 86% elsewhere um, where this is a focus for us. If there is something that we've done that's really been uh, positive uh, that other companies want to benefit from, please talk to us. Steve Ingham, CEO of Page Group, thank you very much for joining me this morning. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you for listening to this Institute of Directors podcast. For more information on the work of the IOD, including that of the Shinquin Commission, please visit our website at iod.com.